You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. On this very special Valentine's Day themed episode, I talk to Kate from At Kate Books. After discussing our all-time favourite romance reads, I have a chat to Kate about her Bookstagram account. She has a really unique style in the way that she creates her own original reels and gives us some tips on how to create our own. In addition, we discuss These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. And just a warning, there will definitely be some spoilers on this episode. Hello and welcome to the Bookstorian Podcast. Kate, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. I'm looking forward to doing a little bit of a romance theme podcast with you today. Yes, I'm so excited too. One of the questions I want to start the show with is what is your all-time favourite romance read? Okay, I have a few, but I've narrowed it down to two. My first is probably Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. I love that book so much. And then I would also say The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Both of those books are part of what made me fall in love with romance as a genre. I haven't read either of them, but I've definitely seen a lot of red, white, and blue littered on Bookstagram. Um, My favorite, most recent romance read is The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. I just love the concept of people who dislike each other and then end up having to go on a honeymoon because all the other guests at this wedding that they're at end up with food poisoning. I think it's just such a funny premise and something that if you are in a little bit of a reading slump is a good read to pick up. It's quite light and breezy to get through. Yeah, I love all of Christina Lauren's books. That one's probably one of my favorite by them. They have another book coming out this year. I believe it's called The Soul Equation. And I have heard them speaking about this book and they say that it's, yeah, it's going to be their best yet. So we'll see. But yeah. if anyone else has read um, In a Holidays, I did a special episode on it at the end of last year with a few bookstagrammers who I interviewed in season one. So go and check that out if you have read it as well. So Kate, you have a bookstagram account. Your handle is at Kate Books. Can you describe your feed for everyone? I think my feed is kind of a lot of like whites and tans and browns, very natural kind of aesthetic. I've still, I've been on Bookstagram for a while now and I still don't really know my like aesthetic and what I'm going for there. But right now I'm kind of happy with like these, this natural vibe that I have. So you have very like natural colors, as you said. Are there any other Bookstagram accounts at the moment that inspire you that might have a similar color palette or they inspire you for different reasons? There are a lot that inspire me. I think if you're looking for a lot of like the natural vibes, I would highly suggest you check out my friend Jenna, who's Jenna, uh, Jenna's Lit Pips. She is amazing. But a few other Bookstagrammers I do really love is at Bookishcore and at Rose Petal Pages, um, and also at, I don't know how it's pronounced, but at Xena Teen. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but I love her feed. Excellent. There are really great examples for people to go and check out. I do know um, I also follow Xena Teen, I believe um, we pronounce it, but we do apologize um, if we are pronouncing it incorrectly. 
You also have a stack of reels on your Bookstagram account. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you on the podcast is because you seem to have a lot of really original ideas when it comes to reels and they're not just all necessarily copycatting um, other ideas that you have actually seen. How do you come up with ideas for your reels? So it depends on the reel. A lot of them uh, actually are originally posted over on TikTok. Um, I've been on BookTok for over a year now. And um, so a lot of them come from trends there, but most of them are usually, I'll be telling stories or jokes about random bookish things in my life, or just, it'll be something I'm thinking of when I'm reading a book, or I'll hear a sound and it'll automatically remind me of a book or something. And I usually just will write it down and save it to film when I get the chance. Uh, do you have any tips for people who use or want to use Reels on their Bookstagram accounts? Yeah, so my main uh, advice is just to post about what you're passionate about, because with videos, we have 30 seconds to try to cross whatever we want to say. And if we're excited and happy and passionate, we will attract the people who are also passionate about it. You'll get people in the comments being like, oh, that's my favorite book too, or oh, I've totally felt that way before. So for me, my main goal is always to post what I'm passionate about, and that's what I've noticed uh, helps me the most. I would also say try to, for the algorithm, try to post regularly TikTok, uh, TikTok and Instagram, both with videos seem to prefer that. Um, and to just also not care so much about the views, because that can be really disheartening when they aren't good. But when you get so obsessed with it, you lose the fun that makes your video special. I think that's the key as well, is that showing your passion for reading or your passion for certain books that you've read is a really great way to connect with other people because when they hear your views or they they see what creativity can be sparked from what they're reading it's it's a really nice addition to bookstagram i do find i still tend to go back to photos a lot but there's definitely lots of reels trending uh, throughout Bookstagram at the moment. And I find you only have to sit and watch one and then suddenly your whole feed becomes reels rather than, rather than posts. And adding a reel is a whole nother level of passion because it obviously takes a fair bit of time as well. You need to set up the camera. It might take quite a few takes um, depending on how many props and things like that you might typically use in a post as well. And that it might be something that instead of, filming 10 different ones in a day you only can do a few a day but you might be able to take 10 different photos in a day as well so there's a definite um different time addition associated with that so you certainly have to have passion to be able to do that one book that i would describe as having passion would be these violent delights by chloe gong and i reached out to you kate because i saw within one of your reels you did a top 10 books of 2020 and These Violent Delights, collect me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, was your number two read of 2020? Yes, it was. And I didn't have a similar experience with the book. So I, I definitely probably wouldn't put it in my top reads uh, for this year so far uh, because I did, I did read it at the start of this year. So I thought it would make for an interesting conversation if we had someone who it fell short for. But, and we had someone who absolutely loved the book enough to put in their, their top two reads. But here's some fun facts about this particular read. 
So it is a Shakespearean transformation of Romeo and Juliet, but it is set in Shanghai in the early 20th century. The title itself actually comes from one of the most iconic quotes in the original text, these violent delights have violent ends. And it's such a foreshadowing of the entire work. And I'm interested to see if it's also going to foreshadow the sequel, which is, um, which has now has a title called Our Violent Ends. So it'll be quite interesting to see what shape that takes. And we'll talk about later what we think might happen in the sequel. Chloe Gong wrote the book as she desperately wanted to find an adventure on the shelves that actually starred someone with a face like hers. And I think that that's an incredibly inspirational reason to write an entire novel. And it's certainly not a short novel by any means. Uh, it's well over 400 pages. So um, she's, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a very um, admirable task that she set out to do to transform a novel and to include people like her within a novel. Here's a quick summary of the book, just in case you need to be refreshed. These Violent Delights is a transformational work set in Shanghai. Roma, a white flower, and Juliet, a scarlet, not only find themselves embroiled once again in family rivalries, but also in finding the source of a mysterious illness that is killing both white flowers and scarlets alike. Did I get that right, the right way around? Rome is a white flower. Yep. Yeah. Juliet is a scarlet. Yep. Great. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's been just that little bit, a little bit, oh, how many, it would probably be two or three weeks since I've read it now, but as I'm sure you probably do a similar thing where you consume so many books that sometimes those re, like little minute details, um, get a little bit lost. <laughs> oh, definitely. For me, I always forget the names. Like after a week, I've forgotten the names of every character. And especially if it's not a well-known book, it's actually quite hard to go back and find a character list for a book that I might be talking about on the podcast. Um, so I'm sure this, this one's a little bit easier because you can kind of think about Romeo and Juliet and then connect the characters back to that initial text. Yeah. So did this book meet your expectations? Yeah, it did. Obviously from, I put it at number two uh, for 2020. I adored this book. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. So as I said before, I'm feeling a little bit opposite to it. And I think I, the book fell short for me. So I think I was just really full of hope for the transformation and the setting. It just, it, it was sold so well. Um, on the blurb and I just thought I really want to read this it sounds really different and and unique and it certainly was different and unique but I think I just got hung up on some of the dramatic choices of the story so why so for example why some of the characters names were changed and some of them sort of seemed very similar to what they were um not some of the characters that were killed off in the original text weren't killed off and I also found that I also was questioning the ending and why the ending was so different. But I think the, the biggest thing that I struggled with, with was the fantasy element of the plot. So I don't read a whole lot of fantasy books. I do really love A Court of Roses and Thorns and so excited for A Court of Silver Flames, which I will be doing an episode of, of the podcast this season. And I don't mind uh, watching a little bit of fantasy, but I just, yeah, I, I got a little bit hung up on that part of this story. So one of the things that 
that is different about this novel that I potentially wasn't expecting is that within this retelling, Roma and Juliet have actually already met in the story. So, and I wasn't really sure what form that was going to take in the book until I read it. Did you like this shift in time that it was set after they had initially met? I did, but at first I was a little hesitant. I like, when I read books, I love to watch the characters meet, get to know each other, and like see that development of the relationship. For me, that's one of my favorite parts of watching these relationships develop in books. So I was a little nervous about it, but I really did like how it was handled in this, and as we slowly uncovered more of their past, I thought it, it made me a little bit more glued to the pages, so I wanted to know exactly what happened between them. And I also love that uh, Chloe Don wrote this little short story uh, that she, I think she posted it on uh, her website, like right before Christmas or on Christmas. That was just a holiday little short story going into their past. And it was so adorable. So I ended up, while I was nervous at first, I did really like it in the end. But what about you? What did you think? I definitely found it confusing at first because I think knowing Romeo and Juliet as well as I do, I was waiting for those kind of signposts of, of going, oh, right, okay. So that happens in the beginning of Romeo and Juliet. So that's why it's happening here. So I think one of the initial scenes is that fight between both of the gangs. And I was like, right, okay. So we're starting at the beginning. And then it it's very clear that we're not. I also, similar to what you said as well, I felt a little bit robbed that we didn't get the falling in love. We, we missed that and we kind of got the aftermath and the falling out of love, which in itself is, is quite interesting because there's not too many books that you pick up going in knowing or thinking you know the story and then it, it shifts and change a little bit. So I'm hoping that maybe the sequel might provide a little bit more of that, of that love story and it's not necessarily the aftermath but the rebirth of, of them falling in love. So as I mentioned, one of the things I really struggled with was the fantasy elements. I do recognize you have a lot of fantasy reads on your bookstagram. So it's probably a genre that you read a little bit more than I do. What were your thoughts on some of the fantasy elements within the story? So I actually didn't really know a lot about the fantasy elements going into it. I didn't think to look at the back of the book before I read it, which I probably should have read that before reading it, but um, I really had no idea that there was any fantasy aspects until I had the book in my hands. And when I was reading it, I was, I really enjoyed it. I read a lot of fantasy. I love fantasy so much. It's probably my favorite genre. But it was nice to have this mix where there seemed to be a lot more focus on the historical aspect and the fantasy was there to drive the plot, but it didn't really overwhelm anything. And a lot of it was fueled by historical uh, stuff that was there for the historical aspect. So it felt like a good balance to me and was really fascinating and also a really unique uh, type of fantasy aspect that's brought into the book that I really enjoyed. It's really interesting you say that because you're not the first person who's mentioned that they didn't know that there was going to be fantasy elements threaded throughout the book. And when I look back, I can't remember whether or not when I initially added it to my Goodreads TBR that I knew or was aware of the fantasy elements of it either. But I definitely really struggled to actually picture the fantasy elements, what it might look like, what it might feel like. Um, I needed 
to, I, I just, I guess I understand that there was a need within the story to have something to reunite Roma and Juliet, but I feel like couldn't it have been communism on its own without having the other kind of monster aspect thrown in? And it, it just caught me off guard a little bit, I suppose. And I think I wasn't as invested enough for the hunt of this monster. I felt like the in investigation that they were carrying out was actually going nowhere. I didn't believe that they were getting to the end of it. And I found I just didn't really care a whole lot about it as a side story. And while I was reading, my, my mind seemed to, to wander. So, and I think that that definitely is why it was a three-star read because there are elements of the story that I can understand and appreciate and, and enjoyed. But I think that fantasy element just played into it too much and perhaps for want of a better word, plagued on my mind a little bit. But there were certainly some elements of the story I really enjoyed. And they were those elements that connected to the initial telling of Romeo and Juliet. Were there any elements of the story that you actually preferred in this retelling over the original Romeo and Juliet? Oh, that's tough. Um, I think I really liked uh, the different take on Romeo and Juliet in this book. I think one thing that obviously I definitely really enjoyed was all of the different uh, representation that was seen in this book. Um, and I thought that was amazing especially, I mean, one taking place in Shanghai that was so fascinating for me to read. I haven't read a lot of books like that, so that was great. Also seeing a trans character, seeing a queer romance as well, all of that I really loved seeing. I loved that difference from Romeo and Juliet. As for plot stuff, when we, I know we're going to be talking a little bit about the end of the book later, but that's Probably that change at the end is one of my favorite ways that it changed from the original plot of Romeo and Juliet. I agree. The representation in, in the retelling I thought was really integral to, to bring it to a modern audience. I think that that, that element is a way that, that not only Chloe is representing herself, but she can also find ways of representing other people within the story that she tells. Some of the things that I really liked was that we saw some more female relationships with Juliet and Rosalind and Kathleen. And these were actually my favorite moments in the book. Those, those moments when the, the girls were together and it was very clear they had a great cousin relationship. And some of the reasons why are kind of littered throughout the story, but I really enjoyed that Juliet had, let's say friends, um, and I know they're also relatives, but that were her own age. It wasn't just the nurse that she was relying on for a bit of female support. And I like that um, Kathleen also comes out at the end of the story and is, and is actually helping Juliet. I thought that was really cool. There was al also, as you said, the Romeo and Juliet within this story, or Roma, but in particular Juliet, she was just this really strong not so innocent character and she was so independent free willed loyal and i think that potentially that's why the nurse was killed off so that juliet didn't become too sheltered and attached by the character who seems to shelter her 
in the initial retelling. So potentially by killing off the nurse, Juliet had to become quite independent and self-determined and also filled with revenge to potentially step out from the initial stereotype we see in the first retelling. My final one, and it was, it was a quite small part of the story towards the end, was the suggestion that Roma's father actually could have arranged for their deaths. And as a way of him having so much hate for the opposite side and in, in this story, in the Scarlet, that he would actually kill off his own son as a way of revenge just to get the white flower air. I thought, oh, sorry, just to get the Scarlet air. I thought that was a really interesting little uh, line within the text there that, that Roma says to Juliet. So it is obviously a very different ending from the initial retelling. And as you mentioned before, it's, it was actually one of your favorite parts of the story. Did you see the ending coming? Did you have any idea that it was going to go the way it did? Yes and no. I, I didn't really see it coming. I was hoping that it wouldn't follow the Romeo and Juliet plotline to a T there because I had grown attached to certain characters and I did not want to see anything happen to them. So I was very scared. I kind of, while reading it, I kind of forgot that that happened in the original retelling. I was really just in denial. Um, and then as I got closer and I started to remember where the original story went, I got really scared. And I, I didn't know. I was completely like torn between whether or not they were going, like whether or not Chloe Dawn was going to actually commit to it or not. And I'm glad she did the direction she did. I did not see it coming at all. I was too busy waiting for Tyler and Mars to die. I was too busy waiting for those scenes where, where Tybalt slash Tyler dies or Mercutio slash, slash Mars dies. And, but I did love that Mars still had that line. It wasn't quite the same way it's delivered, but still that a plague on both of your houses. I was like, Oh yes, here's the other iconic one. One's in the title. Here's the other one. And I, yeah, I, I didn't actually think, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to end. I didn't really have any idea, but I loved that little epilogue at the back there where we actually see that Juliet is protecting and looking after Mars. And she has this whole conversation with him about, about what's well, implied that, yeah, she still loves Roma. And that's the whole reason why she actually saved Mars. Um, I do think, I thought the title actually alluded to something in the ending of these violent delights. And I was thinking, well, do we fill in the blank and say have violent ends and, and it is going to end in the initial way. But then we found out there's also a sequel, which is titled our violent ends. What do you think is going to happen in the sequel, Kate? All I know is I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm way too attached to these characters. The title is very terrifying for me, but I don't know. I want to believe that everyone will live. And I mean, we kind of had the Mercutio deaths. So I feel like maybe we don't need to worry about Mars. Hopefully. This could also just be me in denial. Um, but I am a little worried about where it's going to go. I don't know if we're going to actually get the true tragedy of an ending. I'm hoping we don't, 
but all I really want to see from the sequel is just, I want to see more Roma and Juliet spending time together and hopefully repairing the ending of these violent delights. And I want to see more of Mars just in general. And I'm hoping no one dies, but I have no idea where she's going to go with it. I think the title's going to give it away a little bit with our violent ends. I feel like I'm it's... Denial. <laughs> I feel like that it's it's playing on the quote and we we got an awful lot of the violence in the first novel. And I think the fact that it's also using that same quote of these violent at these violent delights have violent ends and the fact that it's been swapped to our violent ends i i think it is a bit of a i think it's a bit of foreshadowing about what might actually happen and and occur in the story we'll just have to wait and see (laughs) do you know if there's been a release date for it yet i think it's november 16th okay so this year yeah yeah, so people don't have to wait too long. Although if it's a year anything like last year, it might drag just a little bit. Yeah, hopefully not. Is there anything else that you want to chat about in regards to the story before we end the podcast? Um, not that I can really think of. I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah, um, definitely a good, a good span of, of different things about the book and potentially maybe some food for thought for people who have read it and some different potentially interpretations or comparisons that we've made. So thank you so much for joining me on the Bookstore and Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. You have been listening to the Bookstore and Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstore and Podcast.